I hate that. When someone tells me this is their exit when they haven't even started, it's like, to me, that is the biggest red flag ever. I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broad Mike. I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business. You will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Be inspired, take action, think broad. When angel investor Joanne Wilson was recently asked, how do female entrepreneurs find you? She replied, I don't know. They find me. I guess I'm kind of out there. Joanne's larger-than-life reputation precedes her for going to bat for her female founders and for speaking the truth, even if it comes at the expense of her own pocketbook. Joanne took up angel investing with a vengeance as a second career and as a way of giving back and empowering the next generation of female founders. Joanne has made over 60 angel investments and regularly writes about her experience on Gotham Gal, a blog she's been writing for over a decade. Today, we have a chance to get inside the mind of an experienced angel investor and hear some inside baseball advice from Joanne, including what she and Warren Buffett have in common. Entrepreneurs take note. She will share cautionary tales about the importance of knowing your deal terms and why she hates seeing an exit slide in a pitch deck. Today, you will learn all about the good, the bad, and the ugly from Joanne Wilson, the no BS angel investor. So Joanne, how did you get started as an angel investor? I got started, I guess it was almost nine years ago, some eight or nine years ago. And the reality is I was sort of looking for what's my next gig when I grow up. It's sort of been the theme of my life, which is, you know, okay, that was good. Now what's next? And I think a lot of it had to do with being a mother. And so I was sort of watching the next generation of the web um, come back after we had seen it all sort of go into the toilet. And I was watching Curbed Media, which was Curbed, Racked, and Eater. And I was reading these things three or four times a day. And I was obsessed with them. And I actually said to my husband, you know, it's too bad you would never invest in something like this because this is how people are going to take in content in the next decade and is just beginning. What they're doing is so smart. And he said, um, came home the next day and he said, well, they're looking for money. And I was like, really? He's like, you should invest in them. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you'd be so good at it. You know how to build businesses. You know how to make money. And you have a good eye for what's going on out there. So I called Lockhart Steel, and I said, I hear you're looking for money. And that was the beginning. That is so cool. I, I mean, and this is, I mean, the number of times you and I have talked and, and interviewed you, I never knew that story. Um, and, uh, you know, thank you, Fred. Uh, we'll give him a shout-out. Yeah. He can get his one shout-out. There it is, Fred. You got it. Um, it. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is that, you know, here I was, like, what's my next? And all of a sudden, like, I invest in this company, and I start, like, getting involved, you know, like, interviewing people, seeing what's happening. And they were learning, too. And I think what I learned from that experience, and we all learned a lot, is that know what your place is. Because even when I chaired a nonprofit at one point, the sort of the board members pulled me aside and they said, do you want to be the executive director or do you want to be the chairperson? And that's all they had to say. And I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I do not want to be the ED. And so, you know, it, I learned a lot through that process of what is my role as an investor because I am not working there right. full time. And, and what was, so I think part of this and what I'm hearing is in terms of what's attracted you to this um, was you were seeing trends in the future, but you were also knowing where you added value and what got you excited, which means you add more value. Right. Right. That's very true. I think that as an investor, particularly as an angel investor, versus a um, institutional investor where you have a thesis, which more than likely the thesis is based on what your best skill set is on your career, um, is that to invest in things that you understand and that you enjoy because it's an extension of yourself. So for me to invest in something like a really deep dive into technology, in the cloud, I totally get it, but can I really help that company? Probably not. 
I'm laughing at the invest and enjoy because, of course, with my life as a past lawyer, uh, you know, I, people want to pitch me legal technology all the time. And I'm like, yeah, don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that because, you know, I started my career in retail and wholesale. And so, you know, when I looked at like when I look at brands like I have a handbag line or, you know, I have a denim line. It's just like I know so much about that business. It really took me a long time Um in there's, I'm in some manufacturing businesses, but I wouldn't. I have a hard time digging into those businesses because I know how difficult they are. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And and I was going to ask you now, sort of like, what is your advice to new angel investors? Well, I think there's a couple things. Is that you know you have to remember you could lose it all. So if you know if you said I really want to put money into startups because, I mean, you can go to any event these days. I don't care if it's a dinner party for 10 or a party for 200 and you stood (laughs) up and said, does anyone know someone who's in a startup? (laughs) Like someone's going to raise their hand, right? I mean, it's like everyone's like we are are redoing the entire economy and products and everything that we live in. Technology is changing everything. And so I think it's important to say why do I want to invest? Of course, I'd like to make money with my investment, but I maybe I also would like to take what I have learned and help another up-and-coming founder connect with me, and perhaps I can help them not step into potholes, or I know this much about this, and I can help them. And so I think it's important for a couple things, which is, one, have a thesis. So what is it that I want to invest in? Two, how much money do I want to put into this? And how much money am I willing to lose? Because you could lose it all, or you might not. And how much money do I want to put into every business? And how many do I want to do a year? So I think the importance is I have a thesis. Everybody has a thesis. Even institutional investors have a thesis. And the first year, spend a lot of time meeting and talking and greeting not only investors, but also up-and-coming companies. Because I think the first year, you like everything. I mean, you are meeting the smartest people. Their synapses are like busting out of their eyes. And you're just like, oh, my God, they're so smart. That's such a great idea. But, you know, as you get more seasoned, you're like, wait a second. It's a good idea, but you know what? I'm not so sold on that one. (laughs) And so I think that it's important to sort of, you know, it's like Malcolm Gladwell's thing. You know, after so many hours, you become a maven. So take your time. Don't jump in immediately with two feet. And that's such terrific um, advice. Did you, when you started, did you have a thesis or did that evolve, I want to say, sort of your first year time period as as you got into investing? Oh, it totally evolved. I mean, I put in quite a sizable amount of money in Curb without like, I didn't really think about it, you know, it was like, but I should have, I think, <laughs> because, the, you know, how I yeah. operate is like, oh, one lemonade stand on Monday, and I better have a chain by Friday. So I don't know why I thought that, that was going to be my first and only investment. And so, you know, it's sort of it's accelerated as I started talking to people and looking at companies, and then I made another investment and another investment. And so then after like the third one, I was like, you know what? I need to be thoughtful about what is my thesis here. And I talked to a bunch of people in regards to how my thesis was set up and what I wanted to do. It was relative to how many deals I should do a year. I mean, the way that my thesis runs, I should really do 10 deals a year. You know, I can't do one because it doesn't work out in regards to um, opportunity cost. And so that was number one. And the other thing is I realized, like, by deal three— that I really wanted to support women. And I made a conscious decision very early on. I mean, third deal, I'm in like 90, which is I'm going to invest in women. And not, I mean, only 75% of my deals are women-led founders. Um, So if you're a guy, you really have to be like off the charts. (laughs) Where are the exceptional male entrepreneurs? We just said, like, if we want to find that person, we just look at your portfolio. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, is my assistant is always like, now, what do you invest in? Like, you met the incredibly tenacious, really driven women and very interesting, quirky guys. <laughs> you know what? There's a good thesis. 
I, I, yeah. I, you know, I like that one. You referred before to opportunity cost. And what did you mean by that in terms of the, the number of investments you needed to make on an annual basis? Well, you know, I mean, listen, if I'm putting in $50,000 and less in a business to own 1% of a business with the caveat that I can continue to put money in at every single level going forward as keeping my pro rate a share, you know, if you do one deal, right, $50,000, and think, God, I hope that works. <laughs> it's just like the chances of one working and being your one, it, it, it's, it, it can happen, but reality is that's not how it's going to happen. And so if you invest in a variety of them over the course of time, some are going to be big, some will be medium, some will fail. And so you have to have enough in there for probability. Right. It's it's the portfolio approach, and, and I think it's almost where we started this conversation that um, early-stage investment um, startups as an asset class need to be part of your overall portfolio. And then within that segment, you need to figure out how many because you're absolutely right. I mean, wouldn't it be lovely to be the person who could pick the one big winner? But, you know, even Warren Buffett doesn't invest that way. Totally. You know, and and – and then, of course, um, as time goes on, the hope is is that some of these companies will exit, or you know, you decide that you know it's worth so much more money now than I ever thought it would be, and I'm willing to sell to the secondary market and get out of that deal. And then you start putting money back into your coffers, and you continue onward. So, what I, one of the practices I want you to to explain because I think um, we're hearing. Hearing more of it, I think, as, as some of these new angel investors that we've seen come in the market in the past couple of years have sort of maturing. Can you explain the practice of um, tap-out amounts or a cap for each company? Um, in regards to the total amount that I would put in? Yeah, in terms of, a, yeah, in terms of, of, of putting into a as, – as part of strategizing how you're investing. Yeah. I mean, I like to own 1% of the company from the very beginning. And so – and I really don't want to put more than $50,000 into a company at the very onset. And I'm really early. I mean, I would say almost half the companies I'm in, I probably gave the first dollar to. And it's so funny because some of them have moved forward. They're like, and you gave me my first dollar. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that. So, you know, so it's super duper early. And, and, and by, you know, and so then I own that 1%. And then as the business moves forward, you know, there is a dollar amount that I like to cap out on in regards to consistency. So, you know, if you look at my portfolio on a piece of paper in regards to the dollar amounts that I put in, you can see I've hit those numbers on several companies. I have not putting any more money in. But I'm always involved regardless because I still care about the company and I obviously want to do anything I can help to move it forward. Um, because you just never know, you know. I mean there's some now that I'm thinking, oh, man, like this is a – they're doing amazing. Should I overexceed my number? Um, but you, 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 I, I think the one thing I have is a thesis and it works and I should stick to it because, you know, I've had companies that I thought – you know, that company is a great company. Those women are really smart. They're probably going to build a nice little, you know, 30 or $40 million business. And then all of a sudden, you know, things shift and you're like, wait a second. That actually could be a $100 million business. So you just don't know. It's like, quick, get back, get, get back in that one. Um, exactly. You said you go in really early. Yeah, when, when you said you go in really early, you know, what is your definition of going in early? Like, to, to sort of describe a company where you said, like, this was early. Like, did they have an MVP or was it just an idea or did they have a first customer? Like, how early when you say early? Yeah, I don't invest in ideas. Um, I just won't do it. I just feel like the hardest part is actually building that business from the very beginning and figuring out if the consumer or companies, if it's B2B, has a need for this particular product. I think that's really important because I just don't think I'm that smart to know. I mean, you know, it's like things have come and exploded and the consumer told us we like this product or we like that, um, what they're doing. And so I really want to see something. I have invested in a couple 
concepts that have yet to materialize, but they're also not first-time entrepreneurs. And so I know they know how to build a product. And I think what they're doing makes a lot of sense, and no one else is doing it. And there's definitely a void in the marketplace for it. So that is another way, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and sort of help them strategize and think about as they move forward in their businesses. And that's classic situation where you've got people who've done it before. They've built teams. They've shipped product. Um, when you're investing in the entrepreneur at that early stage, seeing that they can do it. Um, yeah. I mean, even look at VCs. I mean, there's people that have had tremendous success they've exited with, and they come back with something else, and they're like, sure, let's do it. We'll give you some money. Let's see what you can come up with. Because, you know, once you've done it once, um, you sort of know all the pitfalls. I mean, not that there won't be new pitfalls, but um, you're a little quicker on your yeah. feet. Yeah, few, fewer mistakes. Uh, let's. I'm just going back on something on, on in investing in when you said, Joanne, you like to own 1% of a company. Are you with mm-hmm. your deals? Are you in thinking about this from, an, you know, some, some coming, someone coming in as an angel? Um, let's talk about being entrepreneur first, because I think that is another lesson for angel investors, whether they're getting into this game uh, now or they're, you know, their first year or two in. What does that mean to you? And why is that the right approach when you're making these early investments? Well, as an angel, the reality is, is that unless you have a fund um, or a family fund where you can write a significant check and you are connected to a lot of um, institutional investors that would be happy to have you on the team because of your knowledge and whatever it may bring, you got to get in early. Because you're not going to see those deals later on. And so, you know, I created this whole side angel group that I have that every time I invest in something, just to keep people up to date, I tell people, this is what I'm doing. If you're interested in meeting, fantastic. And I've had a variety of women meet with those founders and then put money in. And they're so excited about it, which is great because they're they're doing something different and they feel really good about it and they do talk to the founders and they try to help where they can help. But if when that founder gets to the round where they're raising $10 million, they're not going to these angels. And so you really have to be as an angel, I think, early to the game. Right, and and you're early to the game if you are being supportive to entrepreneurs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I've talked to plenty of people who, you know, they are so concerned about when do I think I'm going to get the money out? When do you think they're going to sell? How long will this take? And it's just like, listen, if you are more concerned about, you know, mitigating your risk, you are in the wrong business. Well, I mean, in some yeah. ways, you're you're mitigating risk because this should be part of your portfolio. But anyone who's investing has to know that this is a long term game. This is not a short term game. This is a very long term game. And you know, at the and and I talked to some woman the other day who they have a super cool fund. Actually, they only support um, LGBT founders. And she was asking me about my thesis. We had a really interesting conversation. And, you know, she, she in her personal life, her career, she actually does much later stage investing. And I said to her, you know, in the early stage stuff, there's not a lot to analyze there. And so you really got to trust your gut. And if you have a hard time with that, it's really a very difficult business to be in because, you know, Someone can walk in the door tomorrow and all of a sudden, let's say you sell an ice cream product and someone walks in and says, we want you in 1,500 stores. The whole business just changed. Or, you know, you shift a little to the right and you play with the product and you are out there trying to, you know, aggregate consumer eyeballs to your app and all of a sudden that little shift, boom, you got 3 million eyeballs that month. I mean, you just don't know. And that's why... I like it because I love watching the evolution of companies as they grow. I'm, I'm, part of me is laughing because part of the motivation for me to start angel investing and saying, you know what, I can do this, was hearing a successful 
male angel investor in New York go through the big list of what he looks for and deciding to make an investment. And then he looked at the audience and he said, yeah, but then at the end of it, I just trust my gut. And I remember thinking to myself, I have a gut. I I could trust it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why you have one. (laughs) And that's what you use it for. Let's talk about Gotham Gals just a little um, little bit more because I'm really, this idea that you are opening your deal flow um, because you have been um, so visible as as an investor, you're opening your deal flow to other women to be part of, and then they can be part of trusting, all right, Joanne is writing a check. She's in this. You know, maybe I want to look at at this too. Um, is it a, a formal network? Is it an informal one? How did, um, you know, any other kind of ideas on that? Because I think the more I really like what you're doing, and I think the more more other women who are angel investing hear about that, it's sort of like, hint, hint, ladies, you should do this too. Yeah, I mean, I I would hope that over time we would get big enough that, you know, I think there's a number in my head of how many I would want on that list that I would say to other people. Now, you guys start, hey, I saw this, I saw this, what do you think of this? What's interesting is um, is that I don't, take any carry. I don't want to make, you know, I'm trying to support A, the entrepreneurs that I've invested in because I want them, I know you need the capital. B is I want women to think about investing in businesses. And most importantly is that women look at things differently. And so, you know, AngelList is a very interesting place where you see a lot of money flowing. And, and I've never done AngelList, although part of me always thinks, oh, I should do it because I could raise so much money for one of my companies like so easily. But on the other hand, I know women. Women like to talk to the founder, read the deal, look at the documents, and talk to other people and feel like, okay, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing, that I feel good about this. It's in my gut. I'm going to do it. I think once you do the first one, it's easier to do the second and the third and what have you not. But, you know, it's funny when people say, uh, entrepreneurs will say, you know, I met with this investor today, and when I told them you were invested, they were like totally excited. And I'm thinking, don't follow me. <laughs> Right? I mean, you know, I like that you're excited that I'm in it and terrific if you're going to give these people money. But, you know, this is all, you know, you're talking about people's capital. It's a very personal decision if this makes sense for you because you believe in this company. Not that you believe in what I'm doing, but you had the opportunity to look at it and go, you know what? I like this too. it's, It's like a verification point. For me, like I think yeah. about it in terms of who else has looked at this, how, what's their investment thesis, how are they looking at it? Um, you know, friend of mine, Erica, I know that if she's going in on a deal that every piece of financials has been scrubbed over 16 ways to Sunday. So I'm like, okay, if she's comfortable with the financials, I'm pretty much be comfortable with the financials. So right. uh, that's why I like to know who's in, who's in on these things and uh, – um, you know, kind of, you know, following in that regard and sort of like, okay, this is something maybe to sit up and pay a little more attention to, particularly if I agree with someone else's investment thesis and, and it has that um, agreement on it. Um, I was going to totally, because you know what, like your friend Erica, there's certain people when they're in deals with me, I'm thinking, I know what they like in terms of what they're looking at that they need a comfort level with. And that's great because... I don't have to. I don't need to look at that space over there because I know that they've looked at the financials or they've looked at this in the marketplace, and and that that is a really really um, important to sort of look at that overall what people are doing. The other thing is, you know, someone emailed me uh, this week and she's like, "Have you seen this deal? Do you want to meet with this woman?" And I usually say yes or no, but not like give a lot of information. But this particular time, I know she's kind of starting to do angel investing. And um, for whatever reason, I was like in the mood. And I basically said, I'm not interested. And here's why. And so I basically gave her like what my thought process is behind of it and why I wouldn't put money into a company like that. And she was like, wow, that was super helpful because I wasn't looking at it like that. 
that is so helpful in terms of you know guiding someone who is a new angel and and you know sort of educating them on 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 your why you're known. I was actually going to say you know ask you Ness is you know one of those things that you know if there's if there's fun involved in being a you know angel investor, um, you know saying no sometimes you know is depending on how the entrepreneur na- takes it, it can not be very much fun. But how do you say no? I think saying no is really important, um, and I think it's just how you do anything, right? Everything is how you pitch it. Um, but I do say, like I this morning, this woman, I said to her, you know, your deck is great. Um, she wanted advice on that. I said, it's exactly what a deck should look like, 12 pages. Here's the problem. Here's what we're solving. Here's what makes us amazing. Here big the marketplace, blah, 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 blah. I said, but I, you know, as much as I um, appreciate what you're building, this is not something that I would invest in. And unfortunately, because of that, I don't have the time to get together with you. Um, I wish I had the time to get together with every single woman that reached out to me, but I, I just don't. Um, I recommended she apply to We Festival because I think she would learn a lot from it, probably more in 24 hours than she would learn even from sitting in an hour with me. And um, I hope she understood. And she emailed me back. She was like, I so appreciate the fact that you were completely honest. You gave me a no, um, but you gave me some feedback, and I could have asked for more than that. I, I always think maybe it's the worst thing that investors can oh, do. It's the worst. People do that all the time, particularly more institutional investors, I think, because, you know, you never know where these people will end up. Like, it will end up going down the toilet. They'll bring back the next deal, and the next deal is the big one. And so I do think there's something nice. I mean, listen, when years ago, when I was a buyer at Macy's, People would call me like crazy to come see their lines. And once a month, I would go out and see like 12 lines in one day because I felt like that was my job. And I would say yes or no. Um, But I was very where I stood. And I know that I went to the other side. And people would be like, yeah, this is great. Totally 70-something. And then you could never get them back on the phone. And it's just like, why are you wasting my time? I'd rather you said to me, great talking to you. I hate your stuff. I'm never going to buy it. But if you ever go somewhere else, please give me a buzz. Then I would know, check off the list, not for me. Right. Right. So that whole, like, un, you know, in, where you don't know where you hang, I don't like that. I mean, I'm a very black and white person, but I don't like gray. I was going to say, you you were such an influence to me. When, pitch event we were both at years ago with women uh, founders and um, Melanie B who had that carpet line and she said she wanted an investor and you just said stop right there go back three pages on your pitch deck look at your financials what's this work in progress you're going to have a profit in six to nine months suck it up (laughs) I still think of that moment and she did she did and she did and I bumped into her um, at the show at the Javits Center about a, six, seven months ago. And she literally was like, oh my God, she took a selfie with me. She was so excited. She goes, I took that. She goes, I never took a dime. And now she's doing fantastic. And she owns it 100%. That's like so fantastic. So sometimes I think, you know, people think, oh, saying no is the unkind thing. I'm like, no, no, giving the direct advice and you know, telling people like, no, you should go off and just do this. Um, I think just the best advice they can they can be given, uh, rather than this maybe and you know all that all that other stuff where they they can't make a decision or move forward. It's um, totally. So um, you mentioned pitch deck, and you said twelve pages. So what do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you want to see in a pitch deck? Just in case someone doesn't well, know, remember a pitch deck is an appetizer. <laughs> it's not the whole course. It's not the entree. Um, you know, when I, some of these decks, it's just like, why are you giving me everything? Like, you got to tickle my fancy. Like, now I know so much, I don't even know if I'm interested. <laughs> and so, you know, it should be 10 pages. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's what we've done. Here's our competition. Here's my team. Here's the future. Here's what we're doing. There it is. And that's it. Should they talk about their exits in the in the uh, pitch? No. Oh my god, no! I hate that when someone tells me this is their exit when they haven't even started. 
It's like, to me, that is the biggest red flag ever. It's like, that's not what we're in here to do. We're here to build businesses. We're here to build economies. We're here to create jobs. We're here to make things that are going to change people's lives, change businesses' lives. And by the way, you have no freaking clue what your exit is because your business might evolve completely into something you never thought it would. Okay, so there they've heard it. Do not put exit in a pitch deck. Think about building a company. Uh, how do entrepreneurs find you? Um, they do. I don't know. They just find me. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think that I'm pretty out there. So it could be from reading my blog. It could be from events like this where we're talking. Um, it could be from the Women's Entrepreneur Festival. It could be from, you know, whatever it is from word of mouth. I mean, you know, all these founders talk to each other and see each other on the street. So, um, you know, most of it just shows up in my box. I mean, there's only one company in all of them that um, I was at a party that actually um, uh, Victoria Song put on um, when she was in Boston for a bunch of New Yorkers to get together. It was a dinner and a cocktail party with founders and investors, and there was a woman there Amanda Elion, and she was telling me about her business, and I was like, God, that's really interesting. And I said, you know, I'd love to talk to you. Do you, um, is there any more money in that? She was like, actually, we have one $50,000 slot left. And I said, well, let's talk. And then we got together and talked more uh, about our business. And I was like, this is phenomenal. And then, of course, it ends up that I know for the other investors. I mean, so, you know, you just, <laughs> it's just like you never know. But otherwise, most of them just kind of show up in my box. And it's clear on your— Or introductions from other founders, you know. I mean, it's—they're um, cold calls, they're introductions. It's all over the place. And and y- y- you look at all of it. I do. I do. I You know, I mean, I'm a super freaky, organized, efficient human, and I know that about myself. But I do think that it is so hard to be an entrepreneur and start a company and figure out— who's the right person, who's the funding, and to, like, write that cold call email that, you know, it's nice to get a response from somebody, even if it's a no or just some, like, little feedback. Um, And, um, you know, if I'm interested, I'll go back and forth for a while. Um, And I have invested in some of those companies that came in cold. But I just feel like, you know, and then some of them, of course, prod you in ways afterwards. It's just like, okay, you're done. But um, I do think it's nice to respond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people, even when you say no, they still, you know, they 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 don't get the no. Um, you mentioned the We Festival um, mm-hmm. for anyone listening who, for some reason, is not aware of We Festival. Can you describe it for us? Yes. We Festival is my, my own personal entrepreneurial venture. Um, so We Festival is the Women's Entrepreneur Festival. For five years, it was at NYU. It was a phenomenal event. I decided after five years I was kind of over it because, you know, there was no company behind it, essentially. I mean, we were just putting it on at NYU, and they were great at helping execute on all the production. And, you know, we really didn't capture enough data, I mean, all that stuff. And we had no partners slash sponsors. And so um, I decided after five years I was done. And um, my husband and my sister and I went out and got completely hammered on margaritas. And my husband was like, you can't give this thing up. It's like part of the extension of your brand. And I've met so many women who have come to this event and there's nothing else like it. And you're like helping all these women in the trenches. And my sister turned to me and she's like, I'll run it. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. And so the next morning we woke up and I was just like, you know what? That's a really great idea. And so um, I went back to my co-founder, Nancy Heckinger, and I said, you know what? I think I want to keep it. Do you care if I take it on the road? She's like, it's yours. (laughs) Take it. And so five um, years, five years of fun. Please take it away. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she was done. And, you know, I just felt like it had to become something bigger and better in the next iteration. And so, you know, fast forward, not only, um, you know, are we going to do it in New York on April 13th and 14th? You have to apply to come. Um, and we're super excited about it. The night before, I have a, a fireside chat with um, Rachel Ray. And then the full day's activities are 
panels that are very appropriate around helping women build better businesses. And all of the people on the panels are women that are Series A, maybe Series B, that can give great um, feedback and advice. Um, the, the rooms become incredibly interactive just because when someone on a panel is not that far along than you are, you don't feel like you're being talked to. You're being validated what you're doing. So it's a really interesting event. And then, um, um, and it's a full day event. And, you know, we have wonderful panelists and people speaking. And um, we have um, IDEO doing this super cool thing in the afternoon, which is called Creative Tension um, in all three rooms. And so it's at One World Trade Center. And What's really nice, too, is that, you know, because we did it for five years and didn't have any people sponsor us because we didn't need to, um, except I will say Silicon Valley Bank allowed me and also um, Built by Girls the opportunity to do live stream because the NYU students weren't doing such a great job of filming the panels, <laughs> um, is that um, – uh, you know, I went out into the market and, and talked about what we're doing. We have an audience like nobody else does, and we have these amazing sponsors that have come on, you know, from Verizon to Amex to She Knows uh, Media, um, Google, Accenture, um, LinkedIn, um, JustWorks, um, GE, um, uh, WeWorks, and um, New York Magazine's a media partner. So, you know, it's been really fantastic. Um, and, you know, they're, they're part of what we're doing. And we're taking this thing not only on the road. We're going to do this event in Los Angeles in November. And then we'll go back to New York in April of 2017. And then we're going to go to Berlin in June Amazing. of 2017 and continue to have three of these events a year. But I think what's much more interesting is that underneath all of this, we have a Slack channel that anybody can apply, of course, if you're a woman and you're, uh, you know, entrepreneurial, is that um, we might only accept 400 people to go to each of these events, but you can still participate. And so one of the things we launched this week, which I love, is called um, Slack Off. And so for one hour a week, we have someone in that Slack room essentially speaking to everyone about answering questions that they're interested in. And so our mission, which is helping women build better businesses to connect and be heard. And so I did it this week. People were asking a million questions about raising money and all that kind of stuff, and it was great. You know, we have someone next week. We've got um, – um, uh, someone from um, Jenny Fielding from Techstars. She's going to talk about all the accelerators. We have someone from JustWorks who's going to talk about HR and insurance. We have Beth Comstock from GE. He's going to do it. Um, you know, we have someone who's an expert in branding who's going to do it. And we can want to continue these over the course of the year um, and build them bigger and bigger um, so that there's this community that will continue to talk to each other and we'll have different offshoots of it. And, um, and hopefully we're going to do something on Medium as well um, from all the panelists and from others writing these long-form sort of um, conversations around women, around entrepreneurial, around resilience, around all the things that, you know, we're all looking for that information. So I'm really excited about it um, because, you know, it's a really unique audience and um, it's important to go to these events, to listen to your peers, find your peers, find mentors, find maybe a co-partner, find someone you can do business with, find a group that you can have a meetup with once a month. I mean, it's um, it's really cool. I mean, the women at forty under forty, they met there and they were like, had this idea, and then Whitney and Christine, they launched that whole thing from you know being at a Wee Festival. So that's kind of cool. It's 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 so great, and you really are like I you know hear the enthusiasm and the two things that I'm thinking about for people thinking about their own entrepreneurial venture, their own entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, this importance of like getting out there and doing it and proving it to people that you can execute. Like not that getting sponsors for an event is um, ever easy, but a heck of a lot easier when you get a five year sure not <laughs> five year track five year track record to say this is what we have and this is what you know you're sponsoring, this is what you're investing in. And the other the piece of it is the really this massive importance in early stage investing of of having peers that yes, it's it's absolutely amazing to have these mentors and advisors who have you know, built a company and, you know, exited or they've built a company and they're running a successful company. But 
being mentored and and working alongside peers who may be half a step ahead or just dealt with a problem last week that you're dealing with this week is absolutely essential. And, you know, at We Festival, this is where you get to sit alongside those peers and learn as much from them as you are from the panel. Um, totally. Yeah. I mean, other actually, the one um, sponsor I for, um, partner is Deloitte. And what's interesting is about Deloitte, they've published so much information about this. And so, you know, through us, we can share it with all of the people that are, you know, connecting. And so there's all these opportunities, you know, certainly we are in the, the time of women, um, that, you know, they want to support what these women are doing. And, you know, I certainly do. And I think that um, it's really kind of gratifying to find out that I'm not the only one out there that really wants to make a difference. So this last part of our interview, what I do want to do is our pay it forward questions. These are questions we ask mm-hmm. all of our guests. So I'm going to get some fast answers from you. Um, what are your go-to sources for information? You know, I posted this a couple weeks ago. What do I read every day? I think people, I, think I was, I was shocked myself. Um, you know, I mean, I've always been like one of those people that get like 25 magazines a month, like ridiculous information for your head that's probably better for a cocktail party than anything else. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I just read what comes into my feed as well as, you know, things I absolutely sign up for every day based on things that I like. Um, and then obviously a Twitter feed of who I follow and what they're posting and putting out there that I find, you know, interesting. It's just, as an investor, it's really important to know what's going on out there in terms of the whole big picture. And having all these different sources, how do you discover new information? Um, you know, if you click enough... <laughs> through you can find it you know i mean it's like something comes in you're like that's interesting you click through you end up somewhere else you're like wow i've never seen this thing i'm going to sign up for this too (laughs) and so that's how (laughs) okay what book are you reading oh but i'm actually reading right now um elizabeth warren's biography oh very cool very cool. Yeah, I usually am a novel novelist in terms of what I read, but um, I am really fascinated. And it's it's a great book. Um, she's very chatty. It's easy to read. It's um, And, um, you know, I think what she's writing about in regards to um, where the middle class is and how we have screwed them, um, particularly um, through a variety of channels— <laughs> is very poignant for our times um, as you look at what is happening in the presidential race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Um, what's the convert- So it's worth it. It's good. Where's reading? All right, Liz- Elizabeth Warren's book. Yeah, it's totally worth it. It's really, really, really good. Yeah. Uh, what's the conversation we should be having that we aren't? You know, that's a great question. Um I think we are starting to have the conversation about gender balance, um, which I think is important. But I think it's really important, like anything, if you start on one foot and it's the wrong foot, it's really hard to get back on the right foot. And so when these companies start, the importance of gender balance in these companies from the very get-go makes them better companies because men and women think differently and they come at things from a different angle. And I also think part of that right foot as, you know, there's a lot of really young entrepreneurs, but there's also a lot of these companies that are getting older and having families. And the importance of appreciating and celebrating how important it is to allow people that work because we have phones in our hands, that our lives are blurred between our careers and our personal lives, to give the flexibility for people to be able to do both. I mean, it's kind of weird how in your 30s and 40s, when people end up having families, is also the time where you're actually creating the biggest important value of your personal career that's going to make the kind of capital for you over those years, which makes it like crazy, right? Right. I mean, like my kids are out of the house now, so I can do all this stuff with no worries of being home on time and having dinner on the table and having the refrigerator filled and making sure their socks are in the drawer. I mean, and so I, you know, I think that 
Happy workers, happy families, better businesses. Well said. Um, who are the people that most influenced you in your career? And I've had a couple people that over the years that, um, particularly when I was younger, I mean, people that influenced me how not to behave, <laughs> which I think is just as important as people that influenced me how to behave that I thought I want to be like that. Um, yes. Um, and and there were women. One woman I worked for was the meanest human being. I got acne from her. It was awful. Um, I, it even took me like to compose myself the day that I quit. I mean, she was so mean. Oh my god! Um, and I thought I will. I would never ever be a human being like that. Um, and then I worked for a woman who was, you know, she just like took over the world, and I loved how she operated and how she thought. And so. You know, when I was super young, I was like, I want to be like that. Um, so there's been a bunch of people over the years. But I will say is that, um, you know, my husband has probably made the biggest impact on me um, in regards to, you know, pushing me forward in my career. I mean, we've known each other since we've been 19 years old. So, you know, he could probably say the same thing about me. Um, but, um, you know, there was times where I took up the slack. There's times when he took up the slack. Um, but, you know, as a, as, a, as a partnership, it's been fantastic. And we have three amazing children who inspire me every day. And so I think at the end of the day, it's really been, you know, my family. Awesome. Well, okay, Freddie, get a second mention. Thank you. Um, what, <laughs> what, what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I ever received was my third job. Because when you're at Macy's, which is where I started my um, career, every year it's like a pyramid. It was. It isn't like this anymore. Is you you interview for the next job. So my third job was um, I was twenty four years old, and I was the assistant store manager for New Rochelle Macy's. The woman who ran the store was, I loved her, like loved her. And um, I oversaw all of women's ready-to-wear and cosmetics. So all of those managers reported to me, and it was important. Um, My job was also to nurture them and teach them about how to build their businesses to them get promoted to the next job. And truth is, it's very similar to what I do today. But when I got there, I had been, um, my first job was running King's Plaza Cosmetics. So I really knew cosmetics cold. And someone said to me, and it wasn't the woman who ran the store. It was a vice president in the company. I think it was this guy, Carl Matteo. And he said to me, you know cosmetics inside out. You could spend five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the afternoon there and probably get everything you need to get done as a manager. Spend time in places that you're uncomfortable and you don't understand. Because most people come into this job and they end up spending all the time in something they knew from their first job. And then they never end up learning anything else because they just stick to that. And I was like, great advice. So I basically tackled women's ready-to-wear and cosmetics. He was right. I spent maybe half an hour there a day, and that was it. And um, it was a great business, the cosmetic business there. But I, I knew enough already that I didn't need to spend eight hours a day in that business. And so I think spending time in places you're uncomfortable. It's like I have an um, entrepreneur. He's an incredible product person. And he needed to understand sales. And I said to him, spend time in sales. Understand sales. No sales, no business. I know that's not what you're good at or what you've learned, but be uncomfortable and spend every day there until you understand it or you're never going to be able to build your business and manage that. And he did. And the business is fantastic. And he learned a lot from that because he didn't need to spend that much time in product because yeah, like, he already knew how to go do where, product. Go where it's uncomfortable. What makes your work fun and rewarding? Um, you know, the people I get to talk to every day and work with every day. I mean, it's it's insanely rewarding to see founders that I gave their first dollar to go out and raise $10 million from a institutional investor who I have tremendous respect for and then, um, you know, have them take the business to the next level. Sometimes I'm lucky enough to sit on the board with them. But 
to see them grow from an idea to a business and then have this confidence and knowledge that they didn't have three years ago, it's really rewarding. I mean, it really is. You know, it's the same thing with my children. It's like incredibly rewarding to see them become young adults as they move forward in their lives. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I've, I've, I'm not that I'm not starting a new, you know, always new careers and new things I'm working on. Um, but you know, to watch someone who's young and come up the pike and make decisions, some good, some bad, some failures, some positive, um, I think it's just great to watch. It's insanely. Um, fun and rewarding, and i glad that I get to be part of their process. I couldn't agree more. Seeing other people succeed is, like, such a meaningful thing. Um, everyone knows this from my Instagram feed that, you know, when I need to feel powerful and uh, the thing I pull out of my wardrobe are my heels, uh, what do you pull out of your wardrobe when you need to have that power suit? Anything. <laughs> Everything black. <laughs> If it's black, it's power. I like that. If it's black, it's powerful. If it's in New York, it's black. I mean, I'm out in L.A. during the winter, and it's just like jeans. In a, like a, It's like such a different thing, you know, and, and it's like a very different wardrobe. But, um, if you, wanna, you know, I'll, I, in New York, it's it's the black pants and the black boots. In L.A., it. it's it's the fl- it's, it's totally, it's like, you know, loafers and jeans. <laughs> love it. I love it. I, I, I won't feel that you've lost your power if I see you on the West Coast. I'll be like, oh, we're, we're on the other coast. We're not in New York. Um <laughs> And this question, this is question I'm going to laugh because you are like, you know, the, the I want to say the godfather because there's something powerful about saying that, the, the godfather of, of paying it forward um, uh, for women. But how are you paying it forward for women? Well, certainly the Women's Entrepreneur Festival. Um, and, you know, I mean— Listen, I mean, I can give my two cents all day, and I, and I hope that I inspire women. Like, I went to a party last night. It was like 30 women investors, and a lot of them were actually more analysts than they were VCs. Some of them are VCs as well. And everyone went around the room and said, you know, who they are, what, what they are. And I said, you know, don't leave. <laughs> don't leave this business. You know, it's important that women stay in the forefront of the investing world or even when their companies become publicly traded companies or they sell their companies, don't go home. Because if we go home, then who are the role models for the next generation? That's, that is a absolutely perfect way to end this conversation. <laughs> and like that is, it's like, that is the mic drop comment and I want to thank you for being so visible and and being such a role model you know for me personally and for so many women thank you thanks Kelly really appreciate it thank you for listening to broad mic we welcome your feedback find us on Facebook where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover BroadMike and grow the BroadMike community. BroadMike is produced by Christy Mirabel with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think Broad.